0: morning, hoping for more clever mashups of rock and roll songs. I'll have to disappoint you this morning. I have none. Instead, today, we have set before us Psalm 42. But if we're being fair, as we just heard, we really should also set before us the words of Psalm 43, because there's a strong likelihood that these two psalms are actually one psalm. As many of you know already, the book of Psalms is an anthology of 150 offerings of Hebrew poetry, prayers, hymns, and songs written over a period of time, stretching out over about 500 years. It's quite possibly the most ambitious and weirdest hymn book ever compiled. Some psalms in the Psalter are profoundly pious. Others are wild-eyed and irreverent. Still others are earnest and hopeful. In this book, there are lament psalms in the first person. There are lament psalms in the third person. There are praise psalms, and there are praise psalms, and then there are happy, clappy, really praise psalms. There are hopeful songs about kings and rulers. There are despairing songs about kings and rulers. There are psalms pleading with God to wipe out enemies of the state. There are religious songs about temples and choirs and smoke offerings. There are psalms written by kings. There are psalms written by choir directors. And still others are written anonymously with no clue as to their origin. Some psalms in this book are written for people taking religious pilgrimages and other psalms are written for people offering sacrifices to God. There are some psalms that cry out to God who has forgotten those who grieve and other psalms pleading with God to step in and fix current political affairs. It's a complicated book, the book of psalms. In our Bibles... The book of Psalms is divided into five sections. Why five? Well, as there are five books in the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, so there are five books of Psalms. You can reason out some of these divisions Books 1 and book 3 of the psalms are all psalms attributed to King David. And book 2 has all the psalms attributed to a group called the Sons of Korah. But beyond that, it's a little bit murky as to what organizes these psalms into neat subdivisions. Our psalm today, Psalm 42, is the first psalm of the second book of psalms. It's the kickoff psalm in the second chapter psalms in the Bible. It's a set of psalms written by a musical group whose band name was called the Korahites, The Korahites, the sons of Korah. They were a subset of priests whose sole job was to sing in the temple courts. They were like the temple praise band. And in addition to playing all of David's top 40 hits, they also started writing their own stuff. Psalm 42 is like one of 11 psalms in the Bible written by this musical ensemble. Today's psalm has been titled many things by many different people over the years, but mostly it's uh, known by its opening words as the deer pants for water. Palestrina, Handel, Mendelssohn put this psalm to music as did Louis Bourgeois, Buxtehuda, Bach, Tavner, and the modern Australian Christian rock band called, you guessed it, the Sons of Korah. In the last 15 years, new versions of Psalm 42 have been recorded by over 25 different singers and bands. Some are doing it word for word, and others dwell on a particular phrase or verse in the psalm. Needless to say, Psalm 42... Is a rather popular psalm it's one that i would argue is worthy of our meditation and consideration as we continue into our summer series called shaped by the psalms how might we as a people be shaped by psalm 42 how does psalm 42 help us as christians to pray what role might psalm 42 play in our lives this week this month this year these are the questions that we open up before us as we set this psalm in our presence, considering what it might mean for us today. If you have your Bibles open to the psalms, find your way over to Psalm 42. Today's psalm is not terribly long. It's a mere 11 verses. It's only 130 words in Hebrew. It's not long. But it's deep. It's rich. It's vast. And that's what I love about some of the Psalms. In just over a hundred words, you can be taken to a deep place of prayer and need and anguish and hope that still tracks in our day. Something that you might not otherwise expect from ancient poetry dating back 2,500 years Psalm 42 is organized into sections of prayer describing first the present agonies of the psalmist, then the positive memories of the past of the psalmist, and then finally the future hopes of the writer. This is a psalm of need. It's a psalm of desperation. This is a psalm for people who feel like there is nowhere left to turn today, because all hope feels futile. It's not quite a lament psalm with a singular complaint, but rather it's a psalm of profound need and despondency. It's a psalm for people at the end of their rope, at the bottom of their barrel. It's for people who are struggling to figure out what they are supposed to do next. This is the prayer of a person not just with one need, but with like 15 needs and no clue how to prioritize them. It's for a person who can't describe their agony except to say that their yearning for relief is like watching a thirsty deer search in vain for water in the desert. It's the prayer of a person who is constantly at the end of or the receiving end of hostility and rebuke and mockery from others. This is the prayer of a person who weeps more often than they eat and who feels like they are trapped at the bottom of a waterfall that they cannot escape. In the language of Matthew 5, this is a psalm for the poor in spirit. This is the psalm for the brokenhearted. It's a psalm for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a psalm for those who are meek and marginalized. It's a psalm for those who are mocked and persecuted. This Psalm 42, church, this is a profound psalm. One of the curious aspects of the psalm is that the dialogue partners in in it vary widely. Sometimes the psalmist is talking directly to God. Other times he's talking to somebody else about God. And other times he's talking to his own soul, like he's divided himself into two, but I love this because it reminds me that this is precisely how we ought to be engaged in prayer when we are in times of desperation. We absolutely need to be directing our concerns to God. We also need to be working out our circumstances and pains with others. We also need to be talking to our own self and to tell it to stop listening to the voices of despair and to put hope in God again. Speech to God, speech to others, speech to self. Those are the three platforms, the three stages upon which this psalm is performed. So using that, I want to read through the psalm with you, and I want to find out more about what the psalmist says to God, what the psalmist says to other people, and what the psalmist says to himself. And I also want to be on the lookout as we read for the relationship in this psalm between memory in the past and hope for the future, as the psalmist sits in the midst of a present agony. Psalm 42. You ready, church? Let's do it. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me continually, where is your God? The psalm begins with direct speech to God, identifying right at the beginning the object and subject of the prayer. He is in anguish and he is pleading to come into God's presence. The psalm continues in verse 4 with a look back, a memory These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I remember how I went with the throng. I led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. A glance back in his past to remember a pastime of religious vibrance, a moment of connection to God and others. Verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. We have some self-directed talk here in verses 5. Conversation with his own soul about his distress. So far, we've seen direct speech to God. We've seen speech to others about his past. We've now seen direct speech to himself. The psalmist continues. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. The psalmist is estranged from his home country. He's in a foreign land, and there in the midst of his distress, he remembers God. He looks back at God. Verse 7, deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. His distress feels like he's drowning. Verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? And Psalm 42 ends with another round of conversation with his own soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. What does it mean for a church in Flint, Michigan, to be shaped by Psalm 42? Three things, I would say. First in times of desperate need and hopelessness, when you feel like you are a deer searching in vain for water in a desert, dried-up creek bed, when you feel like you are trapped under the pummel of a waterfall that you cannot escape, what do we do? Psalm 42 teaches us to... Take it to the Lord in prayer. What do we do when we're so desperate for God's presence? What do we do when the waterfalls of chemotherapy are crashing down upon us? What do we do when the waves of grief and sorrow are overtaking us? What do we do when the undertow of addiction pulls us out to sea? We take it to the Lord in prayer. We cry out to God. We hurl our desperation out toward God. What do we do when, due to our present circumstances, we are unable to believe that God is good all the time? What do we do when we go to bed weeping and we wake up bitter and frustrated? We take it to the Lord in prayer. We cry out to God. We hurl our agony out toward God. What do we do when we can no longer imagine a present reality that is joyful? We take it to the Lord in prayer. We cry out to God. We hurl our hopelessness out toward God. As the deer longs for flowing streams, my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night. And people say to me continually, where is your god the psalmist's instinct is to take his present agony to wrap it up in conversation with god and say see god what now but it is speech directed toward god at the start it may sound super churchy church to may sound superficially religious for a preacher to tell a congregation to simply cry out to god in every season of our soul but the fact of the matter is psalm 42 reminds us that such prayer is an essential marker of a relationship with the creator of all things that we are able to have as a pastor one might think times a prayer in times of distress just comes naturally like obviously like you went to seminary for it (laughs) okay but i'm here to tell you that i alongside you i need to hear the call of psalm 42 to cry out to god in my distress i need to be reminded of the invitation of psalm 42 to pour out my soul to god in times of distress because so often my instinct is to keep my trouble within to keep it close to tough it out come on soul Get it together. You went to school for this. I find myself saying more often than I find myself praying. My soul is longing for you, O God. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Not because such action will produce an immediate effect. Not because it will solve your crisis. Not because it will magically bend the energies of the universe to undo your distress. But because... Praying puts you in relationship with the only being who can actually satisfy your deepest longing. In the New Testament, Jesus drags his disciples out to a garden the night before he is to be executed and holds an impromptu prayer session. He leaves most of them at one spot, takes three of them a bit further in to the garden, and Jesus, the Word made flesh, the Savior of the world, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, the one who should never doubt, never anguish, never sorrow, looks into the faces of his friends, and he says, Matthew 26, 38, my soul is cast down even to death. Remain here. Stay awake with me. And then Jesus throws himself down on the ground, and he gathered up all of his anguish and sorrow and hopelessness, and he took it to the Lord in prayer. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Like Christ in our distress, we pray. So that we might put ourselves on a collision course with the only one who can help us. The only one who can heal us. The only one who can save. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Secondly, in times of need, Psalm 42 teaches us that we ought to turn to the past. To seek out memories of God's prior activity. These memories can anchor us in a stormy present and can help us wait for God's salvation in the future. Twice in the psalm today, we find the psalmist remembering something From the past. In verse 4, we find the psalmist in his grief and pain looking back to remember a particularly vibrant and spiritually evocative worship service at the Jerusalem temple. The shouts of praise, songs of thanksgiving coming from the congregation swelled to a point that it formed a powerful anchor in his relationship with God. And with that memory in view, the psalmist can say, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, for my soul will yet praise him again. One day, the psalmist says, the joy and gladness of that past memory will again be in my future. In verse 6, the psalmist says, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Mizar. From a foreign land where there is no temple, perhaps no others who are worshiping God in a place devoid of the spiritual and cultural norms he is accustomed to, the psalmist chooses to remember, chooses to call to mind, to reconnect, to reunite his being with God. He chooses to remember the character of God, to remember the past activities of God. To remember the times when God did heal and rescue and bless and create. To remember the times when God did intervene to help and to save. Those memories anchor the psalmist in his present tense grief. Indeed, the memory of the past reminds us what God has done for us before so that we can wait for God to act again in our future. So Psalm 42 shapes us to say not only do we take things to God in prayer but we should actively be remembering what God has done before to take moments in our quiet life in our space in whatever margin is afforded to you to remember what has God done in your past then then and only then can we begin to cultivate a hope that God will yet again redeem finally in moments of personal crisis when our soul is disquieted and downcast, Psalm 42 reminds us that our hope is not placed in our own religious effort, nor in the strength of our will, nor in our own ability to change our present circumstances. Psalm 42 does not tell us just to think happy thoughts and everything will be okay psalm 42 does not tell us to just have enough faith to name it and claim it and god's rich blessings will then manifest themselves the self-talk of psalm 42 is fascinating especially in verses 5 and 11 but if we make this psalm just an exercise in courageous self-determination If we make this psalm into an example of how to pull your soul up by its own bootstraps, we miss the point of the psalm completely. This psalm, from start to finish, is a prayer to God. Only in the context of that prayer, only in the context of that communion with the Almighty, only in the context... Of a human person dialoguing with the creator of the universe, can we possibly find any strength to summon our soul to new action? This psalm teaches us to hope in God. To place our hope not in what we are, who we are, how strong we are, but to put our hope in what God will yet do to place our hope in what God will yet accomplish. And so we hope in God for we yet will praise him again. We will yet again see God as our help, as our salvation, as the God of our life, the God whose steadfast love visits us by day and whose lullaby song comforts us through the long nights. I love that in this Self-talk of verses 5 and 11, the psalmist says, Why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Anticipating what will happen in the future is different. It permits us to still be hurt in the present, but it anticipates a different future. It anticipates a reality yet to be unfolded. It anticipates further intervention of God, but it permits us to be in pain now, to say, it hurts now. I feel like I'm trapped at the bottom of a waterfall now, but I know that this is not the end of the story. There is yet more God is up to. There is more that God will do the Christ, who prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me, did not find that cup passed from him. Instead, it was a cup he had to drink. But what he found on the other side of death was resurrection and life everlasting. The God had more to do with him than he thought in his moment of distress. Church, only when we have engaged God in prayer Only when we have called to to mind God's prior actions in our lives, only then can we ever find the strength to say, All right, soul, it's time to shape up a bit. It's time to hope again. Only then can we have that conversation with ourselves. Might we be so shaped by Psalm 42 that we find ourselves going to God in prayer no matter the season of our soul. May we look backward in our past to find those times that God has acted, that God has blessed, that that God has healed, and may those memories anchor us in our present distresses. And finally, may we hear the voice of God's own spirit within us, comforting us and pleading with us each to hope again in God. For we shall praise him, and we shall find God to be our help and our salvation. Church, I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let the Church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. Thanks for listening this week. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. You can learn more about us at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship with us. We would love to welcome you and your family to worship. Have a great week.